so. I'm going to be reading through the text. If you brought your Bibles, you can look through them. It'll also be up on the screen if you just want to read, read through. Uh, look up on the screen. We're using the New Living Translation. So it's not a translation I usually use, but it's a, it's a real easy reading, so it kind of is more story-like um, uh, uh, version of it as we go through. So we're going to start in the Gospel of John. We're going to start with the first chapter in John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Now, God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But... To all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us, and he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son, Now, John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, this is the one I was talking about when when I said someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. So as we, just a few thoughts as we look at this first passage, this is how John opens his gospel. This is how John begins to tell us about Jesus. And and we get introduced to who Jesus is in John uh, immediately, if, if it, John's readers would have been familiar with Genesis, and immediately he's tying uh, Jesus to the beginning. In fact, he's tying him before the beginning. That language, in the beginning was the word. The way, it's writ- the way that uh, it's given to us in the original scriptures means in the beginning was means before the beginning. The word was already there. Jesus, pre-existent, in the beginning, before it started, the word was there, and everything was created. He was eternal with the Father. He pre-existed. And, and it, in, in, as you read in Genesis, how did God create? It says he spoke, he spoke, he spoke. And what is John telling us here? Jesus is that very living word that created life itself. He is that word. Jesus himself said that he is the giver of life. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Furthermore, Jesus is the light. We we read in here, John's telling us he's the light of the world. The first thing that was created in Genesis was what? Light. 
So we get, we get Jesus before the beginning. We get Jesus, the word that was spoken. We get Jesus, the light. All of these things, John is immediately taking his readers before everything, the, the thing that brought, brought uh, um, order to chaos is found in the very person of Christ himself. It says, Jesus became human. He took on real human form at a real part, a point in time. You see, the, the, the thing that John's doing here, he's taking this, he's going to Genesis and he's, current, and he's, and he's, he's giving us this understanding about who Christ is, and, but he's also, he's not leaving us in the ethereal. He's not leaving us in, in uh, um, an intangible spirit. He's saying Jesus actually stood among us, born of a, of a virgin as a real human being in a real point in time. What's fascinating to me, I've heard scholars talk about this and debate this, is taking this concept of nominal truth and objective truth and brought together in one, in the person and being of Christ himself. He's the embodiment of God's unfailing love and faithfulness. I've heard a lot of people talk about, um, you know, it says Moses gave, the, the, uh, the law was given by Moses, truth and grace was given by Jesus. And I hear a lot of people try to contrast the law and truth and grace, but that's not what's actually contrasted. Because the law was the word of God. What it's saying is Moses um, gave us that. He was an intermediary. But truth and grace came in the person of Jesus. Moses was an intermediary. Jesus was the embodiment of what Moses was, inter, was uh, uh, bringing us as an intermediary. Why is he saying that? Because Moses was this hero. Moses was the, found, you know, his words were the foundation of all of Scripture. We're going all the way back to, to Genesis. And he's saying that, 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 yes, that was important, that was great. But Jesus is the embodiment of those things living before us. Some say no one has ever seen God. Jesus said this, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He is the physical embodiment of the revelation of God on earth. So let's stand together. We'll sing a Christmas carol together, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Let me turn this off so you're not hearing. Burst the gloom. 
Sung, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, that, that word Emmanuel, that name actually means God with us. 
it was actually used in Isaiah, prophesying uh, the coming of Christ, God with us. So we're, we're going to turn now to the, to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to start in the first chapter of Luke in verse 26. It says this in the story. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord's with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. For you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor, David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative, Elizabeth, has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you've said about me come true. And the angel left her. A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greetings, Elizabeth's child leapt within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. And Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and the haughty ones. And he's brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. And he has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he has made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. And Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then went back to her own home. And we're going to turn over to the Gospel of Matthew. As Matthew, uh, in chapter 1, in verse 18, Matthew gives us some other details in the story. He says this. He says, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. 
his mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. And as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's a play on words, by the way. The, 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 the name Yeshua means salvation. So you will name him salvation, for he shall save. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took Mary as his wife. But he did not have intimate relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus, Yeshua. So there's a verse in the book of Hebrews, it's in the 11th chapter, it says this, and it's talking about Moses. It says, he, talking about Moses, considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasure of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. You know, as we, as we look at this story, what's, uh, one of the thoughts, especially looking at this section of the story, is everyone that is associated with the birth of Christ took on that same sense of the reproach of Christ. Just like Moses said, listen, I am going to identify with my people rather than identifying being a prince of Egypt and was willing to walk away from all the treasures of the Egypt in order to identify with his people Israel, in order, and ultimately God used that to deliver his people Israel. And the writer of Hebrews says that's the reproach of Christ. We'll talk in a little while. It, that comes from the humility of Christ. And if we look at every character, every character in this story is, take, takes on this reproach. You know, we started off, we didn't go through the whole story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. But here's this priest. He's in his old age. Elizabeth's in her old age. In that culture, in that society, to, to live at, to old age and to not have children, that's a, that's a, that's a reproach. They, they would, they could, there were those who would have considered them as being cursed. God cursed you somehow. There's something wrong in your life. They carried that their whole life. Um, Mary, being a virgin, um, uh, willingly embar- embraces um, pregnancy in a culture where, I mean, she literally could have been stoned for embracing this. She could have been stoned, at, at worst, at worst be, be looked at with shame and contempt. Joseph... By taking her on, everybody, everybody, I mean, it's a small town, you know, anybody knows small towns, right? You know what goes on, everybody knows everybody's business in a small town. By Joseph taking her on, he's taking on her reproach. He's taking on her shame. Uh, because, you know, we, we, here's the thing we, we miss about the, the scriptures. Yes, it was a miracle that Jesus was born through a virgin. But people are just like they are today. There are people who look at that and go, oh, yeah, sure, sure. Holy who? They didn't say that in the same time. I mean, Joseph himself. It took an angel speaking to Joseph in a dream for Joseph to believe it. 
That's what Mary was willing to take on to allow God to use her. She was willing to take that on. You see, there's something about taking on the name of Jesus. There's something, you know, scholars will tell us today that it, it, you, can, you can bring up about any religion you want to bring up in culture and society. You can talk about all kinds of religions and all kinds of things. You can pray, but the moment you say Jesus, you just can't pray in the name of Jesus. But that's not modern. That's not, that's not, that's not uh, something that happened today. You can go all the way back to the book of Acts. Peter and John go walking into the temple. This guy gets healed. As, they, as, they, as they're walking in, they say, silver and gold have I none. Rise up in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. This guy who had been lame his entire life gets healed. They go into the temple and they began to preach in the name of Jesus. Um, and the, the, the Sanhedrin calls them all together and says, no, 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 look, look, look. You can do miracles, that's fine. You can preach if you want, that's fine. The only thing you can't do is use the name of Jesus. You can come in here, you can, you can gather together, that's fine, that's okay. The only thing you can't do is use the name of Jesus. Why is that? Well, Acts 4 says this, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which they must be saved. You know, one of the Ten Commandments says this, do not take the Lord's name in vain. Now, for years, a lot of people have, have thought that that means, you know, don't swear and, and use Jesus' name, right? You know, don't, don't say cuss words and have Jesus' name. Well, I mean, that would go along with it. But what it really means, it, it, the, at the mountain there, when they are receiving the Ten Commandments, that is a marriage relationship between God and Israel. He's saying, don't take my name, don't bear my name, don't say you're going to be mine and then not live that way. Don't take it in vain. To bear his name in vain means to say, yes, I believe in Jesus, I walk with Jesus, and then live like you don't. And every person we come to who's taken on the name of Jesus in this story takes on that reproach, and yet and God shows himself faithful to them. Ultimately, ultimately, they see he is the one who brings salvation. Amen? Let's stand together and sing another a song together.
Y'all can be seated. We're going to turn back to Luke in the second chapter. Verse 1, it says this. At that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. Now, this was the first census taken when when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. So all returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David... He had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. Now, he traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee, and he took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. Now, that night... There were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, and they were guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel assured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will be great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you'll recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. And suddenly, 
The angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven. They were praising God and they were saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. And when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us. You know, a few thoughts as, we're, as we think about this part of the story. It, it, the, the sovereignty of God moving in the events of man. Just, just it, these, these things hit me when I think about this. Now, many of you have probably heard me say something like this before, but it, it just keeps coming back every time I see this story. Think about it. The prophecy said what? The prophecy said that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. Okay, this is what was prophesied. It's, it's clear in, you know, even later, we'll get in later the story. When the, when the wise men show up, they ask, well, where's the Messiah going to be born? And everybody knows he's going to be born in Bethlehem. There's a problem. Mary and Joseph are in Nazareth. And they have no intention of going to Bethlehem. And what happens? You get Augustus, Caesar, the emperor of the known world, of the, you know, this major portion of the world. God moves on his heart to have a census that gets one couple to go 70 miles. You have this major world event going on that gets one young couple to go 70 miles. You know, I was talking to my son, Isaac. Um, he's, he's in Ethiopia, and he's dealing, uh, um, he's, he's had to move around a little bit because of war that's going on there, and he's got questions, you know. Things are going on well here, and then he moves over here. Things start going well. He's got to move over here, and, and he's, he's okay. He's fine, um, but it, it's... It's, uh, it's, it's those, those kinds of questions that looking, you know, you see the geopolitical maneuverings that are going on in the world. And you wonder what's happening. And I was talking to him about this. And he said, you know, this is so reassuring to me. You may not know why you ended up having to move back and forth. Who knows? But we know that God does these things. You know, imagine being someone else in a sense, somewhere else. I, mean, I have no idea why we have to do, I mean, we got to do what the governor, what the, what the emperor says. But God had a purpose in it even though somebody else may have had to participate not knowing it. The other thing that hits me about this in his sovereignty is he doesn't go into Jerusalem to the priests and the high priest and say, hey, the Messiah is born up here in Bethlehem. He goes out into the field where the the, uh, shepherds are, everyday people, everyday folk. That's where he goes. He's not impressed with what impresses us. He's looking for people whose hearts are looking for what he desires. And that's who he shows up to. That's who he appears to. He chooses the humble to, to, to give his message to. Let's, uh, let's, let's sing God Rest You Married Gentlemen. Let's stand together. Gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Tidings of the same How that in 
pick up in in verse 16 and they referring to the shepherds they hurried to the village and they found mary and joseph and, and there was the baby lying in the manger and after seeing him the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child and all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished but mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often the shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had see, heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. Now, eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus, Yeshua, the name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. Then it was time for the purifi their purification offering, as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of tur uh, uh, turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now at that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was, a righteous, he was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him. And it revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And that day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. And he took the child in his arms and he praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. A couple of thoughts. It's just fascinating part of the story. All of the pieces coming together. You know, the, the Simeon, holding that child, knowing that this child was going to be a light to the nations. And it's fascinating to me is uh, here was Israel, this small nation in one corner, you know, at the time of Christ, oppressed under an oppressive regime. And here is Jesus born here, this uh, um, uh, an obscure place, the one a being on all of earth, born in all of time, who has done more to change all of the humanity than all of the disquisitions of philosophers, all of the do-gooders, everybody put together. 
And here is Simeon standing there saying, yep, that's exactly what's going to happen with this baby before it all happens. That's exactly what's going to happen. That's fascinating. Now, another part that's fascinating to me is Mary and Joseph. Once again, these are just regular people. They're, they're, you know, when there's a little thing in the text. When it says that they were offering either two turtle doves or young, two young pigeons, there are actually other offerings. Those, if you brought those offerings, it's because that's the, the you are of the most humble means. So this was a couple of, I mean, very humble means. They were a humble couple. But notice they were very conscientious to make sure they did everything right. They took seriously. God gave them this opportunity to, to, to uh, be his servants, to carry out his message. And what did they do? Okay, we're going to make sure he's circumcised on the eighth day. All right, we're going to make sure we do the purification offering. All right, we're going to make sure he's dedicated. They were very conscientious to make sure they were, they were doing things right as best they could, even though they were very humble, they hadn't m- much means. They were just seeking to carry this out. And, and here's the thing, is that is the exact character of our Lord. There's no one more humble than Jesus. That's what Jesus said. He says, come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly of heart, humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. This, This... sense of what James tells us is God takes the humble and exalts the humble, but those who are proud, that's who he lays low. And finally, we, we get here uh, to Simeon. What's unique about Simeon to me is this, uh, you know, what, besides what we've already talked about, is God had promised him something. And for years, he had held on to this promise, held on to this promise, held on to this promise, held on to this promise. I mean, come on. He, he's he's, he's an uh, older man. He's ready to die. He's ready to go home. And the Holy Spirit says, go to the temple today. I mean, how, how many of us could be in this place where we're waiting for God, we're waiting for God, we're waiting for God? How many of us can be in this place where we go, you know, is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? And he says, nope, I'm going to go. And that was the very day. He held on and he didn't quit and he didn't give up. And God fulfilled that promise he made to him. Let's sing. This is a medley, to, uh, Joy to the World medley that uh, was put together. Let's stand and sing this together.
seated starting uh, back at verse 33 Jesus's parents were amazed at what was being said about him and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary the baby's mother this child is destined to call cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise he has been sent as a sign from God but many will oppose him as a result The deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Now, Anna was a prophetess. Uh, She was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. And she came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. Now, going back over to the Gospel of Matthew in the second chapter, verse 1, Matthew writes this, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. During the reign of King Herod, about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where's the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and and we've come to worship him. 
King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as, would, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the le- leading priests and teachers of the religious law and asked, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Well, then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time that the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem, and it went ahead of them, and it stopped over the place where the child was born. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. So there's just a few little points. Um, Some of you may have picked up here in the story. It says they went to the house. Well, and we'll see in the next section that um, by the time the wise men got there, these magi from the east, this was actually about two years later. They, they said, when did you first see the star appear? It was about two years ago. So they had been, they had been in Bethlehem for a couple of years. And this is why, well, that's, we'll see there's some um, important points to understand about that in the stories we get to. But there's something else that's really important to pick up here. In Romans chapter 10, it says this. It says, so faith comes from hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask you, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Now, somebody's probably wondering, what does that verse have to do with what's going on here? What is it that led these foreigners, these magi there? They saw signs in the heaven. They saw what was going on in the stars. They saw what was happening. And it's really fascinating. We're not going to do this tonight. I highly recommend doing this. There's a scholar. His name is Michael Heiser. Uh, You can check this out. There's a book called uh, Reversing Hermann. He has it in there. Um, And he goes through and he points out based on, because we can know where the stars were when. We can actually go back. They've got programs that do this. Based on, we can literally pinpoint the day that Jesus was actually born. by, By the way, he wasn't actually born on December 25th. I hope nobody was actually thinking that. It's just the day we celebrate it. We can actually pinpoint the day that he was born and the amazing signs that were going on in the heavens. And here's the point. Here is, when he shows up in Jerusalem, where should they have been expecting him? The leaders should have been expecting him. They knew the prophecies about him being the star. They were looking for the Messiah. They knew the approximate time when he was supposed to be there. And they weren't paying attention at all. This is what the story is telling us. It was foreigners who most likely had contact with Daniel, knowing where he was from and where Daniel was exiled to, and, you know, and, and all that was going on in that region outside of the Roman Empire. Uh, and, and they understood these things, and they were paying attention to the prophecies, just like Daniel was paying attention to the prophecies in his day. And they show up, and the stars are speaking these things. And there's several places in the scripture where these things come together. And, and, and when they do show up, how do they show up? They show up prepared to meet a king. 
Notice the contrast in the story. The ones who should have been prepared weren't. And the ones you would least expect it to be prepared came because they wanted to greet the king. It's pretty amazing when you think about it. And how did they know? Because God was speaking it not only through signs and wonders on the earth. He was in his sovereignty, had pre-planned the day, and was speaking it in the stars in the heavens above. It's absolutely amazing. Check out that work by Heiser. He's an excellent scholar. He's going through. It's a very. It's, he's a very good scholar, but it's not written in such a way you can't follow what he's saying. All right, let's stand together and sing "We Three Kings." Bright, 
fact there were three gifts but we really don't know how many wise men we assume three wise men it could have been two it could have been just as wise men we know it's a plural so it's in verse 13 it says this this is after the wise men were gone an angel of the lord appeared to joseph in a dream get up flee to egypt with the child and his mother the angel said stay there until i tell you to return because herod is going to search for the child to kill him that night, that night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. Thus fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted for their dead. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up, said the angel. Take the child and his mother back to the land of Egypt, back to the land of Israel, because those who were trying to kill the child are dead. So Joseph got up and he returned to the land of Israel with Jesus and his mother. But when he learned that the new ruler of Judea was Herod's son Archelaus, he was afraid to go there. Then, after being warned in a dream, he left for the region of Galilee. So the family went and lived in a town called Nazareth. This fulfilled what the prophets had said, he will be called a Nazarene. So jumping over to our closing uh, verse here out of a Luke Chapter 2, verse 39. This is when Jesus' parents had fulfilled all the requirements of the law, they returned home to Nazareth in Galilee, and there the child grew up healthy and strong. And he was filled with wisdom, and God's favor was on him. And so I want us to actually go back to the book of John to kind of bring the story full circle. In John chapter 1, verse 9, he says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world didn't know him. He came to his own. His own people did not receive him. What's amazing to me is, I, again, as I think about what John wrote there, it's, it's not only that they didn't receive him, it's that you see him try to get rid of him. 
Herod tried. And 30 years later, as his public ministry came about, and, and he goes about doing what? Doing good works, preaching the word of God, helping people. What happens? They want to they shut him up. They want to stop him. So finally, they literally crucify him. Um, and we see this going on in the world today. Again, don't use the name. You can use any name you want. Just don't use the name of Jesus. Don't preach in the name of Jesus. Don't speak in the name of Jesus. Um, but what's fascinating to me is this, as we think about that. In, um, I think it was the 1800s, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, it was a French philosopher. Uh, his name was Voltaire. Anybody heard of Voltaire before? He, he pronounced, you know, God is dead. We, we have no more need for God. We have no more need for the Bible. It's, it's over with. A hundred years later, Voltaire was dead. Guess what his house became? The, yeah, it's the, the French Bible Society. There's a scholar that's pointed this out, that over and over and over again, the Bible has a way to rise up against its pallbearers. You see, even though Jesus was crucified, he rose from the dead. Yes, our hope is Jesus did die. He did die on our behalf. There was a reproach, the reproach of the cross, but that ultimately was because that's what takes our sins. That's what cleanses us. That's what washes us. That's what lifts us up. That at the name of Jesus, we can be free. We'd have that burden lifted. He sends the Spirit to engage us. Just as we see through this whole story, the, 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 the Spirit leading and guiding people all through this whole story. It's an amazing story. Why? Because here was Jesus come as a child. As a child, he has, you know, he's completely dependent on humans. Everyone else in the story to, to, to carry out their part. What's fascinating me about the gospel is that right now, we, we are celebrating the coming of Christ, the coming of his birth, that he came. And we're looking forward to him coming again. And he said he's coming again. But there's one part that needs to happen. We need to participate with him now in bringing that plan about, just like those who participated then in bringing him about the first time. See, what it means to be a believer isn't to sit by the side and just say, hey, God, God, just go do your thing. I'll just sit here and wait. Let me just hang on and try to make it to heaven. It's about us taking that good news, that good message, that light who came, and allowing that light to shine through us, carrying that, understanding not only the worship, not only the community, but the mission. The mission. Taking it outside. Will there be a reproach? Yeah, there will be a reproach but there also be the reward. Jesus said this, and this is how the Gospels end. This is in Matthew uh, 28. He says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He hasn't, he hasn't ascended into heaven and left us here. He's here with us right now. It's, not just a, it's just not just a knowledge we can have from a book that we can read. 
It's an actual relationship we can have with him. I will never leave you. Doesn't mean it, it doesn't mean it won't get hard, it won't get difficult. It means he will always be with us. And that's who we're taking, that's what we're doing, that's what we're about. So as we're about ready to go and, and celebrate Christmas as we're closing out for the we're gonna sing one more song and we'll close with that. But as we're doing that, I just want us to think about this story. Why? I hope you notice as you read this story, it's, it's not written like a myth at all. It's written about real people in real lives who God came in to bring his revelation. And so we're literally a part of that story now because it's not finished. It's not finished. And so as much as we're celebrating him coming, we're also looking forward to helping him finish it. Mm-hmm.